is August 25th and I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning we recorded our 18th episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly program addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 7.30 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join the discussion to get questions answered. This was the final regularly scheduled episode for the 2021 growing season. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Today's webinar was moderated by myself and Jared Goplin. On the webinar were guests Anna Cates, Minnesota Soil Health Specialist with the University of Minnesota Extension and the Minnesota Office of Soil Health, Liz Dahl, Crops Extension Educator with Minnesota Extension, and Troy Salzer, also an Extension Educator with the University of Minnesota Extension. The guests and moderators discuss cover crops and cover crop management in the 2021 growing season. Thanks, and remember to tune in again next year for our regularly scheduled 2022 season of Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our last program, uh, the Strategic Farming Field Notes program, which we've been running uh, throughout the entire growing season. Uh, thanks for joining us this year uh, for this program. This will be the last episode of the season. However, uh, we will pick up this program once again uh, coming into the winter meeting season. So be sure to stay tuned for those uh, as more of these programs do come your way. Uh, again, welcome to today's Strategic Farming Field Notes program on cover crop management. And uh, I guess with that, Ryan, I'll have, uh, have you introduce our guests. Hey, thanks, Jared. And I, I forgot today is the last uh, program of the season. So we've got on a, a few guests here that volunteered this morning to help kind of facilitate the discussion. And again, reiterating what Jared just said, what's going to make this interesting and useful is for you to put your questions into that Q&A box to help kind of guide, uh, guide the discussion this morning. So that's our goal. Uh, but we do have three uh, guests on. Um, I'm going to kind of go across my screen here. Anna Cates, uh, who's our soil health, uh, state soil health specialist. Uh, she is on. Uh, and then we've got Liz Stahl, who's my counterpart. She's a crop uh, extension educator to the West over in Worthington, uh, who's got uh, one set of experiences with cover crops. And then uh, to the North, uh, we also have extension educator, Troy Salzer, uh, who has a different uh, set of experiences, uh, more of the kind of the animal side of things. So we'll rely on their expertise to kind of help uh, move the discussion along as well as address any questions that pop up. Uh, so, uh, to get things started, Jared, I guess uh, we were going to try to kind of follow the season because, you know, right now it doesn't doesn't seem, it seems like a distant memory, I guess, that we had uh, early in the season such cold temperatures. Uh, if you remember, we had a, a freezing condition, a frost condition across most of the state uh, in May, uh, and then we swung into, uh, into a, a hot and dry set of conditions for most folks, uh, short on precipitation across the entire state. And certainly uh, uh, there's areas that are experiencing some pretty significant or severe drought in some cases. So uh, we wanna kind of, kind of follow that pattern and, and talk a little bit about cover crops and, and start with some of those challenges early in the season with uh, terminating overwintering cover crops. So Liz or Anna, do you guys, which one you want to start? And Ryan, as, uh, as we go through things, uh, those of you participating, uh, feel free to use the Q&A box or the chat box to in, you know, insert your own comments. You know, I'm sure a number of you on the call here today have, have some experiences, maybe have done some of these things yourself, uh, maybe wish you'd have done things differently this year. Um, so we, you know, we would like to, to hear some of those comments. So feel free to use that chat box or the Q&A box that we can, uh, can sort of uh, 
acquire some of that uh, um, kind of thoughts that you might have. Well, Anna, I can take a stab at that first and you can add on if you want there and or anybody else too. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's hard to think back when it was actually really cool, but that's how the season started out. You know, you look back, uh, I was pulling up the weather data in April and we had nights, you know, in the thirties um, and highs barely got above 50. And then in early May, so that still continued. Uh, and then again, we had a dip down in the end of May or later May too. So, you know, if somebody was trying to terminate a cover crop at that time, you know, we need things to be actively growing. Uh, glyphosate's commonly used uh, for termination because that is, when you look at the research, that has been one of the most consistent, well, I should say the most consistent way, you know, to terminate cover crops. But it, again, it requires things to be actively growing. So we're talking about lows, you know, no more than, you know, less than 40, 45 degrees and trying to get highs around 60. Well, we just really didn't have that. And, you know, we didn't have that in April. We didn't have that in early May. Um, and even at uh, later May too, we had those challenges. So I think that's where uh, some people ran into some troubles, just having a tough time getting the, the cover crop successfully terminated. Okay. And, uh, and I can speak to, yeah, some of the area here, I know they were slow to slow to die. And then, uh, in some cases, I think they, they didn't quite uh, quite take. Jared, did you have any cover uh, issues this spring with, that you saw with uh, you know termination or did you use anything that needed to be terminated or were you uh, uh, using cover crops that terminated from winter kill? Yeah, I guess uh, I, it seemed like there was no shortage of fields that had some covers that didn't get a good termination or some folks you know maybe waited a little bit longer um, you know, for various reasons, maybe waited for some warmer weather. And then, you know, things just kind of flipped in that early June, you know, we went from freezing or frost damage to, you know, hundred degrees plus, uh, you know, in what, two or three days. So, you know, things just went from, you know, doing nothing to, to going like crazy in a really short hurry. Um, and there was a few fields where things got away. And obviously as those cover crops get bigger, <laughs> we are going to try not to get into the drought too early, but um, you know, that's kind of the way this year went where those, those cover crops obviously use some water. Um, and it's, it's obvious the patches that didn't kill very well because, um, you know, the, the crop now is, has been stunted throughout the year. Now, you know, that's in an area with lighter soils and I didn't have a lot of water holding capacity there, but, um, you know, certainly is, is some of the impacts we can see in years like this where, you know, those covers are using some resources and, you know, we hope that water isn't a limiting resource, but unfortunately that's the case this year. So Liz, you've done some work with uh, with Axel over in Lamberton, uh, doing some termination work. Anything with different products, or has it been pretty much reliant on glyphosate and then different timings, or what's been your experience? Yeah, I work with Axel Garcia Garcia at the Southwest Research Outreach Center in Lamberton, and um, mostly, you know, we've been using when we terminate by herbicide, we use glyphosate because again, that's been the most consistent uh, way to terminate cover crops uh, when you look at the research in, in other states. Uh, we did have a trial where we looked at um, terminating by tillage. Also, we did a planting green trial this year with corn, and um, there it was interesting. The tillage, that was done about 10 days prior to planting. 
um, and then compared that to, you know, terminating uh, right after planting, but they did have to come back with herbicides because the tillage just didn't quite, you know, terminate everything effectively. And, and that's been one of the challenges. I was just talking to a farmer, you know, just this last week who tried roller crimping, and that's something we haven't looked at a lot in the state either. But, you know, you hear some people it works great, but then another year it doesn't work at all. I mean, timing's so critical with that. I don't know what the drought, you know, maybe that had a, a effect too on how effective, you know, it was to, to roller crimp, you know, in, in this case it was cereal rye, but, you know, there's a lot of factors that come into play. And, you know, if you're in a conventional system, sure you can come back with a herbicide um, to help control that. But if you're in organic, you know, you don't, you can't get a herbicide in there to to help terminate that. But, but yeah, getting back to your question with the, the termination, um, you know, we've looked at planting green, like in corn and soybean last year. Um, and it was interesting. Uh, we didn't see an impact when we uh, planted green. So again, that's planting into living cover crop with, with uh, soybean, because we, we compared terminating like 10 days before planting at planting, then about like 10 days after and soybean didn't see an impact, but corn we did each time, you know, compared to that early termination, we saw an impact. And, and I think this year too, I've heard from people with the drought conditions, um, we might even see some impacts in soybean this year too, just because moisture has been so limiting. Yeah, Liz, I, I agree with you there entirely. The, uh, we do have one of the, 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 what we call the MDA cover crop project, uh, one of the graduate students in the agronomy program is working on this project now, but uh, we had one of the sites in Rochester uh, this year where, you know, the, I don't think there, was, there weren't any termination issues, let's put it that way, but where we had cover crop uh, uh, to a great extent, which happened to be the cereal rye, uh, there were some visual differences early on in the growing season as things turned dry and hot uh, with soybean growth. And it clearly was measurable uh, in terms of height as well as some of the color uh, within the, the soybean canopy. Uh, they were slower to green up. And so it was kind of an interesting uh, perspective, you know, and we're gonna, obviously it hasn't been taken on the field yet, but that, that will be taken to yield and we'll see what uh, any, if any impact uh, was there as far as potential for yield. But like you said, Liz, you know, a lot of times with soybeans, it's later determined in the season in terms of, uh, you know, seeing impacts on yield. I know from a, a practical sense, a couple of the farmers we have projects with that, uh, that use cover crops, uh, there were some issues where they didn't get great kill early in the spring, um, just in very small areas within a field. And certainly uh, later in the season, then the soybeans did have a little bit of visual symptomology, I'll call it, uh, you know, some, some differences, I so, so, so to say. Um, but uh, just a couple of other comments. I do know I had an email exchange, Liz, with one of our industry counterparts, and, and they are very much interested in, in cover crops, and they did some work with different product combinations and rates. And so I'm excited to see some of those things come out. I'm sure uh, we'll get to learn about that later this year at the North Central Weed Science Society meetings. And, and so kind of just a little note there that there is some work being done with different products, product combinations as far as termination, termination success. So Jared, what next? Well, Troy, it looks like you want, uh, you've got some, some stuff to add. Is that right? Uh, actually, Jared, I really was interested if any of the panelists um, had any comments in relationship to 
actual stages of drought in relationship to termination as this year in northern Minnesota, northeastern Minnesota especially, um, we experienced uh, even uh, drought-like conditions early in the May timeframe. And um, it was to the point where some of the uh, grasses especially were at a point where they may have been in a state of dormancy. And in some of those cases, especially on the poorer quality soils that just don't hold moisture, um, we didn't see good termination that was uniform. It did in areas, but um, not across. On the other hand, in our area, we always deal with cooler temperatures. Uh, it's not uncommon to be dipping down into the low 40s. And so I think that most of the folks in our region have kind of figured that out. But this year, we dealt a lot more with the, the dry conditions. Any thoughts in regards to that? I guess my thought is I was just thinking about, you know, thinking forward to next year, you know, your comments there are really, I think, helpful because if we think about anything we're going to or may plant this fall, you know, a lot of times in the conversation, just like today, we start with termination. So if we do stay dry, you know, and those covers go dormant or, you know, um, in some of these dry situations, it might be extra challenging, um, you know, to, to terminate those in some cases. So, you know, might want, you know, might mean you should reevaluate what you're planting this fall. You know, if you do have some of those areas that you're really worried uh, about termination or dry areas, maybe if you put something that winter kills, I don't know. What do you, what's the rest of your thoughts? Well, and that, that's a really good question. And I, and I guess if you do have something that does overwinter, I would err on the side of terminating a little earlier than later next year, because we're likely going to be going in, you have drought, dry, you know, it's going to be hard to make up this deficit before yeah. we get into the next growing season. So although with what Troy's saying, if they're dormant earlier, then you might end up having to wait until you're seeing that active growth phase if you're yeah. planning to use glyphosate. I mean, deferring to my weed science colleagues. Or I should no, say in relation to planting of the cover crop too. I mean, that's another piece of it too. When you terminate, you might look at planting a little bit later. Um too, yeah. just because you don't necessarily you know, you got to look at the trade-offs. Of course, we know early planting, typically we can optimize corn and soybean yield, but there's a little trade-off there too. If we can delay a little bit, we're not taking off that much yield necessarily. Um, You're talking just a few days, home. right, Liz? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. be planting corn in the middle of June. That's not a good idea. So, you know, with this conversation of herbicides and you know, termination, um, you know, there's all already several questions on, you know, um, you know, cover crop selection. And I think before we get too far into that, this whole herbicide carryover issue is something we all need to think about. Um, you know, with these dry conditions, a lot of these products are, you know, degraded by soil microbes and without soil moisture, they're not doing anything. Um, you know, so some of this rain, you know, a lot of the state has gotten a little bit of rain, some areas better than others. Um, you know, a couple of inches of rain should, should get those microbes moving uh, and hopefully degrade some of these products um, quicker, but you know, we're still kind of behind the eight ball. So, um, you know, that's kind of a tricky one. I really don't have a good answer on how to really evaluate that. Um, you know, obviously you got to look at the label and, and go with what that, that says, but, um, you know, aside from that, you know, it's kind of a curveball on what, what we might experience next spring, you know, maybe, or this fall, you know, maybe we plant something and it doesn't grow because there's, there's some carryover issues, even though we're, we're technically on label or, or something along those lines. So I don't know, Ryan or Liz, you guys have had a project looking at some of this stuff with interseeding. Um, so I don't know, is there, there, there any additional stuff you want to add to that? Jared, you know, provided, provided your end use is just 
recover. You're not uh, growing a crop to harvest for use in the, as an animal feed or, or something of that sort that goes in the food stream. You know, that risk is all with you. You, you don't, you know, if, if you want to take the risk to try to plant things and, uh, and see what happens, you know, that's all within, within your, you know, ability to do. And so I guess from a personal experience with some of the things we've tried, uh, certainly the cereal rye tends to be a pretty big, it's a workhorse. And, uh, generally I think we've gotten it to establish with different, with different herbicide, herbicide programs, different, uh, levels of residual or, or even strength of residual. I think it, uh, it tends to have pretty good success. If your goal is to have a cover, you can probably get that one to work. It would be my kind of suggestion, at least from the experience we've had with looking at different sort of programs that should and would control that particular species if, if we were to plant right after application. But once we wait a few months, we've had a crop out there, uh, certainly things tend to, tend to uh, uh, work fine with, with that particular species. Now the other things that I'm sure there, there, there are going to be issues with uh, tolerance and safety. And Liz has got more uh, experience there with, with what things might have more of an issue as far as what cover crop species. Yeah, you know, and, and this fall, because we are setting up into a year where we do have a higher chance of having carryover because it has been so dry, you know, the microbes just aren't breaking things down. And as, as like you said, Jerry, that's the primary way that herbicides break down. You know, most of them break down in the soil. But one thing a person can do, you know, is do a bioassay. And this year, you know, if you're going to seed, say, target seeding mid-September, grab some soil now, you know, and, and, and seed some cover crop in there, put some water on there, of course, and, you know, have a condition, see if it comes up or not, you know, that can be a good indicator if it would take or not. Um, so that is one thing you can do, but you want to do that soon enough. So it's not delaying, um, you know, your, your planting, uh, other things you might do too, is just try mm -hmm. increasing the seeding rate a little bit as well, um, to help offset that. But, but like you said, if you're going to, if you want to use a cover crop for forage, you have to follow those rotational restrictions on the label. So make sure you're watching that. And, and Troy, you know, you work a lot with forages, so I don't know if you want to wanted to add anything on that, but that's really key. You know, if you're just doing for soil health, you don't need to be doing that. Like you said, Ryan, you're on your own, but for forages, you have to follow the label. Yeah. And this year that might be a good economic opportunity. There's going to be a lot of animal producers looking for forage. And so if you have a neighbor who needs some and you think you can grow a cover crop, it might be a good year to team up on that kind of thing. I completely agree in relationship to, to these items. Generally, I always recommend increasing seeding rates on these crops as you're looking for producing just so you get a thicker stand out there with more yield, um, both potential and really um, total forage or, or biomass produced. It's uh, a good idea to go ahead and do that. Uh, in relationship to those um, grazing and haying restrictions, be sure to watch the labels very closely in, in regards to that. Um, and be aware that some of the um, um, dairy restrictions are more than uh, just uh, uh, beef cattle restrictions from that standpoint. You know, and we had a, a comment here, a question here, why not winter wheat? You know, with some of the conversations earlier talking about rye, 
Uh, you know, and winter wheat is one versus rye. You know, there's they're very similar. You know, they're they're two winter cereal crops. But when it comes down to herbicide labels, um, you know, a good example is you know Triple Flex or Sure Start. You know, those corn pre-emergence herbicides that you know are used you know fairly commonly. Um, you know, they're pretty restrict. They're a little more restrictive on rye as compared to winter wheat. So if you are grazing and you've used some of these products, you know, legally you can't plant rye perhaps, but you can winter wheat. So, um, you know, in many cases, they're going to be pretty similar. You know, winter wheat's just not quite as winter hardy, and but in general, they're very similar. So, you know, just to, to, to be on the safe side or the legal side, um, you know, some of these, these, these other crops like winter wheat certainly have a fit. Yeah, and I don't know if that comment is in relation to the question before of, of what to establish in a low soil moisture fall like we're probably looking at. Um, and I don't know of any research specifically evaluating the difference between winter wheat and cereal rye under dry conditions. I would say what we've been talking about among ourselves is just to make sure you're drilling something in versus broadcasting in a dry fall like this. Um, but winter wheat versus cereal rye, does anyone have anything to say about that for moisture issues? Well, in general, rye is more uh, drought tolerant. It's, it's, it's better adapted to drought. So I would expect, you know, a slight advantage to the rye, but, you know, anything needs water. <laughs> so if you've got no water out there, um, although, um, you know, Liz and Troy and, uh, you know, we've, we've got a few different trials throughout the state and uh, some of these that were planted in July into dry conditions, uh, I'm not so sure millet or sorghum needs water to germinate. Um, <laughs> it seems like in some of those trials, um, boy, those those uh, those heat tolerant, those drought tolerant crops uh, just really do a little bit better in really dry conditions. So I don't know. You know, let's. I think we should probably move into this conversation on species selection. Um, you know, in dry conditions, those those drought tolerant crops obviously have a good fit. Uh, they're a little bit better adapted, but we're a little bit on the late side now. So. Um, I don't know. Let's uh, maybe start uh, with Troy because we got to make sure we get this grazing, uh, this forage uh, aspect in here because, you know, for forage supplies are tight. You know, you know, the ability to grow a cover crop does provide some opportunity to grow a little bit of additional forage, high quality forage, uh, you know, where there might be a lot of low quality forage in the in the mix. But um, Troy, what what's kind of your recommendation at this point? So in relationship to this, um, when conditions are as dry as they are, um, I've really been thinking a lot about the aspects of winter rye, predominantly because of the cost of the seed. It's cheaper than uh, maybe winter wheat, for example, or triticale. Um, so in those cases, um, uh, utilizing that as an option. Um, if we look at annuals like uh, oats, for example, it produces fantastic uh, um, forage with very, very high quality at this time of the year. It really doesn't try to go reproductive. And so um, it st stays vegetative. And because it's trying to achieve um, um, that reproductive state, it will continue to grow into very, very cold conditions. And so um, that's a fantastic attribute. Now, um, a lot of the debate that I've been having with some of the producers has been, if it's this dry, what's the benefit of planting either of them? And then if we do plant one, what is the hedging of our bets? And so um, one of the components that we go into a fair amount of discussion about is if we do plant a, a winter annual, uh, such as winter rye, 
how much moisture do we need to get it to actually go through the fertilization process, have that still um, be worth something in the following spring. And that's really the conversation that is, uh, um, has caused a, a lot of interest in some of the winter annuals uh, in relationship to that. So maybe not so much value this fall, but a lot of value potentially in spring. The other thing, as Anna had suggested, uh, we have been suggesting increasing those seeding rates up to even um, two, two and a quarter bushels of winter, um, winter rye per acre, uh, just so that we do get a, a good thick stand because without that growth this fall, it probably is not going to stool out quite as much as uh, in typical uh, growing seasons. Uh, Anna, any, any kind of thoughts, you know, given these dry conditions, you know, that's kind of the forage perspective. It's, you know, it is a little bit kind of added layer, I guess, of, of <laughs> complexity there to some degree, but, you know, just from the, from the other perspectives, you know, and, and we talked a little earlier too, uh, you know, some of the benefits or risks, you know, associated with the covers using some water uh, versus, you know, increasing soil inf you know, infiltration rates. If we do receive some of these heavy rainfalls, like we just got the other day, uh, came fast enough. It ran off a lot of the, the side slopes. Oh my um, gosh. Depressing. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's true. Cover crops are kind of a mixed bag in terms of water use. Obviously they use water as Jared pointed out, all the plants need water, um, but they're providing that residue. So in the long term, they can increase your moisture retention. And there's some really cool data showing uh, reduce variability in your cash crop yield when you're using a cover crop, particularly on the slope. So in an area when, where it's hard to keep water, your cover crop over time is going to increase your moisture retention in those areas. So in a year like this, they, sh they should look a little bit better than they would have if you didn't have a cover crop. So that's what we expect in the long term. But for this year, for seeding in a dry year, yes, you're going to have some concerns with moisture in the spring. And again, this is a question where it'd be helpful to have a crystal ball, but uh, doing things like um, keeping your costs under control. So you're not maybe planting your most expensive seed mix this fall, uh, but you want to get something on the ground Then one of those uh, grass species like oats or rye, that's not going to run you a ton of money is probably the best bang for your buck. It's going to give you some of that residue cover, some of that erosion protection, because, you know, this is Minnesota, it probably will rain again. Um, and, uh, but not cost as much in terms of, uh, you know, how much you're putting in on a year when you're probably not, not going to get a huge amount of yield from that field. Liz, anything you would add? Yeah. And just one thing I want to add to, you know, when we're talking about establishing a cover crop, uh, the research has shown too, if you can get good seed to soil contact, you know, we know that drilling, gives you better establishment than say broadcasting. So that does limit your options of when you can seed, you know, like if say you're in a corn soybean rotation, you're, unless you've got specialized equipment somehow that you can do that, you know, typically it's after harvest, but you know, this is gonna be an early harvest, I think for most of us too. So it is an optimal time, you know, you have a wider window that you could drill in a cover crop, but, but yeah, just seeding method, because uh, if you do broadcast, yeah, you got to increase your seeding rates, but still that doesn't necessarily offset, you know, the just getting that better seed to soil contact. Um, so and seeding timing too, we've also seen, um, like with the work at Lamberton that 
uh, you get better establishment if you can get that cereal rye, for example. We've done a lot of research with cereal rye because uh, it is such a workhorse. If you get that established by, say, mid-September, um, that's going to be, you know, optimizing your biomass the next season uh, versus, say, if you see it into October. Uh, we've just seen that several years now uh, of research that you're just not getting the biomass in the spring. So seeding timing makes a big difference, too. So I've got a question that comes up occasionally. Um, if I pick a, a species or a species blend of cover crop that's going to winter kill, Folks that don't have experience with cover crops often are going to wonder about uh, the residue that's there and residue management, particularly as we head into the, the following uh, crop year. And uh, what's been your experience with that? If, I, if I've had a winter kill uh, species or a blend, um, you know, what do I do with the residue? Do I have to be concerned or do I just uh, operate like normal the following spring? You're going to want some kind of residue management on your planter, I would say, in the following spring. It, you know, it depends on your tillage operation and your soil conditions, uh, but it doesn't, it shouldn't necessarily be a problem if you pay attention to how your planter is working in the spring and make sure, you, again, you're getting that seed to soil contact with your cash crop. I don't know if anyone else would add specifics about that. Yeah, there's, I think maybe... I, oh, Jerry, my, thoughts are, my thoughts are just in terms of, you know, if this drought does persist, which, you know, I was just reading Mark Seeley's weather blog last uh, from last Friday, and it basically indicates that there's some pretty good likelihood we're going to persist in the next season, you know, similar to sort of 87, 88. Uh, you know, if that's the case, you know, I'm thinking forward to the next year and, and having some residue there can help with, you know, retaining some of that moisture. If we do get these heavy rainfalls, you know, Anna, like you said, that it's just depressing when, you know, everything is is dry and then you get some rain, but it comes so fast that it runs off. So, you know, having some residue to slow things down, um, you know, these are all kind of some things that I usually don't think about, but you know, this is a year that there is some maybe things to, to consider there from a residue standpoint. Yeah. On the same agree. lines, if there's so much residue, uh, uh, your, the um, other farmers would really appreciate that in the livestock industry if you go ahead and harvest that and make that available to them. So just a plug for those egg producers or the uh, livestock producers out there. Right. Or and try. I put a couple of links in the chat along those lines that are grazing exchanges across the Midwest or cropland grazing exchanges within Minnesota, which are kind of online dating services for livestock and crop farmers to find each other in those scenarios if you're not talking to the right neighbors already. Yeah. Troy, this was one uh, I was talking to Schaefer here a couple of weeks ago and we were putting together that crop news article. Um, and he, you know, he was a little more, uh, or we had the conversation on what's, what's worth the money. And, you know, my, my dollar amount usually comes down to about 30 bucks an acre, you know, and I'm, I'm more on the grazing side, you know, I want to graze or do something. And, you know, if you think about the value of how to recoup that $30 per acre from a grazing perspective, even if we have sort of measly growth, um, even a small amount of growth this fall or next spring, you know, it's going to be pretty easy to recoup that 30 bucks. Uh, from a grazing perspective and, you know, livestock inherently waste, you know, plenty of forage. So you're still going to have plenty of residue out there too, typically, but um, you know, it is something where, you know, you know, from the risk management perspective, you know, 30 bucks, it's easy to recruit. If you get up to 50 or 60 bucks and don't have good, good establishment, it gets a little bit trickier. So go ahead, Hannah. Hannah. Well, I, I don't think I was going to say anything particular, just that's a really good perspective to have in terms of that economic threshold. 
Yeah, I, I just wanted to throw in a comment there again about the residue too, that uh, you know, most planters are set up to be able to handle residue you know, in the spring. And, and again, that can help keep the soil cooler. It can help retain moisture that we have too. So um, yeah, I, I think there's some advantages. This is probably not a year either where I'd want to do aggressive tillage in the fall either because we want to conserve as much moisture, much moisture as we can uh, as well for the crop next year. Good point, Liz. That tillage, you know, not only lets the moisture out now, but it breaks up your soil aggregates. So you have less water holding capacity next year if we do have this continuing drought. Yeah, and if we have, you know, again, cover crops, we know they help with, there's a lot of soil health benefits. We can get, it helps develop better soil aggregation. We get better infiltration, which we want that water to infiltrate and not run off too. So we do have a question here and I was trying to think of how I was going to fit alfalfa into this mix. And uh, thankfully we have a uh, guest who was asking a question, uh, you know, what options are there for grazing alfalfa that's going to get terminated this year? Uh, so Troy, I don't know, do you want to, you want to take a first stab at that? Um, question? Yeah, sure. Um, a few things that um, really do jeopardize the stand of alfalfa is, uh, um, first of all, take the necessary precautions, uh, adapting the cattle to the alfalfa um, over time, um, never, never turn them in hungry, never turn them in when it's wet, and also always fill them up before you give them any access and small amounts uh, to adapt them is a really good process. Um, tight grazing will um, be uh, very detrimental to the alfalfa. Another thing that works really well is if you don't have very good snow cover, go ahead and allow them to continue to pack that snow um, through the course of the fall and into the winter so that that snow doesn't provide that insulative uh, layer in relationship to that. And those are some of the, the characteristics that I would go ahead and look at. Um, the other thing is, is uh, um, also think, and, and it might not be very, uh, very much of an impact this year, but on rainy years, um, I would avoid putting the potassium specifically on those fields um, in fall like you normally would probably try to manage those uh, alfalfa stands just to put additional stress on that, um, on that alfalfa as we go into the, the winter season. Uh, looks like, Ryan, we're getting close to our time here. There was one question. Uh, does anybody have uh, any experience on the supply of cover crop seed this fall? I guess in my experience, it has not been an issue. Uh, anything that you guys have run into? I haven't heard anything about that, no. I haven't either. Uh, I have um, I have been hearing some difficulties in sourcing some of the seeds. Uh, I'm even more concerned about uh, uh, sourcing seed for next spring's um, uh, crops, um, oats. Uh, there just wasn't uh, very good yields in relationship to those crops this year. Uh, winter rye, winter wheat. Um, uh, has also suffered a little bit, not only in relationship to yield, but also quality. And so there's some concern that the germs might not be as good as uh, we would normally expect. So it is something to take into consideration uh, in relationship to that. And I always suggest with um, these covers, when you get your window of opportunity, it's very short. So make sure you have those in hand, um, even though we don't want to carry those seeds over, just 
Just be ready. So Ryan, anything else before we wrap up today's program? No, but I just do want to try to take a second and summarize what I think I just heard in, in, in entirety, I guess, uh, as far as some of the take homes. Uh, as far as the winter term terminating cover crops, don't worry about the residue. Uh, I know a lot of folks that don't have a lot of experience with cover crops, they get a little nervous, but uh, so generally don't, don't worry about the residue. Being a dry year, it may be the year to, to skip on some of your more expensive species. I think Anna is kind of what the, you indicated, look at a blend that might be more economic. And then the, the last thing I kind of heard uh, was to, to use some form of incorporation when you're, when you're seeding the cover crop to try to get better seed soil contact and better establishment. So kind of thinking about this, the, this, the steps for success, I guess, from everything everyone's talked about today, I guess the last point is don't forget forages and your neighbors that might need forages. So uh, uh, those were kind of the, the big kind of things that I heard come out of the discussion today. Um, and with that, I think we're pretty close to the end. I did want to put one last plug in here before we thank our guests and, and listeners today. Uh, September 9th at Rosemont Research Outreach Center, uh, there is a field day. Go to our calendar and look at it. It's focused on sudden death syndrome and soybean and uh, corn rootworm management and corn. So that's an opportunity coming up here uh, on September 9th, starting in the morning, wrapping up around the noon time. Uh, and again, more details on our, our crops page if you wanna get uh, information on the location and such. But I do wanna take time to thank the, the guests today that helped facilitate the discussion. Thank you. It's, uh, it's nice to have uh, folks on to kind of help answer questions and guide the discussion. And then thanks to the, the listeners here, Jared, today for tuning in to our final session of the, the summer edition of Strategic Farming, uh, known as Field Notes. And uh, it's been a fun summer uh, tuning in like this, and I look forward in the future to, to kind of continuing this discussion-based format as we, as we move forward. Thanks again. Thanks.